It's day 10 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we are in the last seconds of the final round of this speech and debate tournament today between Job and Bildad in Job chapters 24 through 28. And we will be reading from the ESV translation by Crossway. So in case you were wondering, also, if you could please help us out, if you are coming back for more by hitting that like button that partners with us to be able to continue to spread the gospel. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. And if you're on YouTube, hit that notification bell so that you know when each video comes out. And if you have any other questions about this ministry, please check out the show notes or the description box. Lots of information there. Or as always, you can head on over to our website, heartdive.org. And while Holly is working hard behind the scenes to send out daily emails, I do want to let you guys know that you can always access everything on our website, heartdive.org slash podcast. That gives you our episodes. You can download my notes. You can find all of the information in one spot. So make sure you bookmark that in your browser so that you can always reference it at any time. So let's go ahead and pray as we prepare our hearts for the reading of the word today. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another beautiful day, Lord, no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances are right now, Lord, you are are the equalizer. We are all the same before you. And so we just humble our hearts before you today. Please forgive us of our sins, Lord. Any place that we have erred, where we have done something wrong, maybe we didn't even realize it. God, I pray that you will bring it to the top of mind so that we can make it right and we can ensure that we are living a life of righteousness. We don't ever want to defile your name or your character. And so I just pray, Lord, that we will be reflectors of who you are. Forgive us where we have not done so. Help us to also forgive those who have sinned against us. And I just pray, Lord, that you will be with us today. Be in our midst. Your word says that we're two or more gathered. There you are. And so we believe fully that you are here with us, Holy Spirit. So will you open up our eyes, our ears and hearts to be able to receive from you today? And I pray for wisdom and understanding and full knowledge of your truth. Nothing but the truth. So help us, God. We love you so much. And we just thank you for every person who has come here today. Lord, we are all seeking more of you. We want relationship with you. And we always point it back and come back to you because that is what it's all about. All of the other stuff can be burned away, but our relationship with you is what is everlasting. So we love you for that. We thank you and we give you all the honor and praise in Jesus name. Amen. So we left off in chapter 23 with Job asking, where is God? And here in 24, he continues, why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? And why do those who know him never see his days? So in other words, why are the days continuing while the wicked continue in their evil? Some move landmarks, they seize flocks and pasture them. So this is stealing land. And by the way, we will read in Deuteronomy that this would bring upon a curse onto somebody if they were to steal the land. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They thrust the poor off the road and the poor of the earth all hide themselves. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, poor go out to their toil, seeking game. The wasteland yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie all night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the rain of the mountains and cling to the rock for lack of shelter. There are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast and they take a pledge against the poor. 
They go about naked, without clothing, hungry. They carry the sheaves. Among the olive rows of the wicked, they make oil. They tread the wine presses, but suffer thirst. From out of this city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help. Yet God charges no one with wrong. So he is stating here the social crimes of the wicked, the social injustice that is going on. And now he will continue speaking about criminal acts of those who are evil. There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay on its paths. The murderer rises before it is light that he may kill the poor and needy. And in the night, he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight saying, no one will see me. And he veils his face. And in the dark, they dig through houses. What does that mean? Well, homes back then were built of mud bricks. And so that is how they would break in rather than breaking through a window or a door as they would today. By day, they shut themselves up. They do not know the light, for deep darkness is morning to all of them, for they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. You say, swift are they on the face of the waters. Their portion is cursed in the land. No treader turns toward their vineyards. Drought and heat snatch away the snow waters. So does Shoal, those who have sinned. So he is saying they will see their day. God will come in and intervene. So they will be removed. The womb forgets them. The worm finds them sweet. They are no longer remembered. So wickedness is broken like a tree. And they wrong the barren childless woman and do no good to the widow. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power, and they rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security and they are supported, and his eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted a little while, and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. If it is not so, who will prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? So if we can see any good coming out of this, it is that Job is no longer focusing on just himself. He sees the suffering and the injustice of others around him, which is what suffering will oftentimes do. And this is why Jesus has so much compassion on us whenever we are dealing with difficult times. But is it enough for us to just simply feel that empathy? So heart check. When you recognize injustice or unfairness, do you look for ways to be more socially responsible? And here we hear the last of his friend Bildad. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in the high heavens. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not arise? By the way, this is in reference to words that have already been spoken by Job and Eliphaz, basically saying God is in control. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? Or in other words, how insignificant are humans compared to all of creation and everything that he has done and how great and mighty he is. So Bildad's final words, they're nothing new. It's almost as if he just wants to hear himself speak. Do you know people like that? I do. But his final words drive the stake into the ground that Job's suffering is evidence of his guilt, likening his insignificance to that of a worm, especially when compared to the holiness of God. So heart check. Do you ever feel insignificant in comparison to God's greatness? And how do you overcome it? And thank God that ends the discourse of his friends and we don't have to hear from them ever again. Job chapter 26. Then Job answered and said, How you have helped him who has no power, how you have saved the arm that has no strength. 
how you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge. With whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you? So clearly here, these are words of sarcasm by Job. He is basically saying, wow, you have really done me some good here. But notice all of the references that he makes that we can see in comparison to the Holy Spirit, how he's saying, yeah, you surely have helped me and saved me and counseled me and plentifully declared sound knowledge and by way of the breath that comes out from your lungs. And so these are references that are of the Holy Spirit, our helper, our savior, our counselor, one who gives us knowledge and sound wisdom. And again, there's that word breath or spirit that we often see compared in the Bible. Verse five, the dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering. So while death was uncertain for Job and all of those around him, obviously it isn't for the all-knowing God. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. So he's explaining the cosmos here. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters. So it seems as though he is recognizing the circular horizon here at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble. This could be referring to mountains and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Ooh, there's that name Rahab. I've been actually wanting to talk about this because several people have asked, why are we in Job whenever this isn't chronological based on the fact that Rahab is in this book. This is not the same Rahab that you are going to see in the book of Isaiah. This is a Rahab that is linked to Leviathan. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. And this serpent could be referring to a constellation or again to Rahab. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways and how small a whisper do we hear of him. I love this line. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So in the end, Job seems to be shifting from this self-loathing into a more reflective state with his stunning depiction of God's power and majesty. And he ends with this statement that what we see as evidence of his power here on this earth is but a mere whisper or a tiny glimpse into the windows of heaven. So in a sense, he's connecting science with faith. So heart check, are you able to bridge the proven theories of science to the proven nature of God? And he continues here in chapter 27, and Job again took up his discourse. And I just thought, okay, well, why did he ever pause or stop? I don't know if he was waiting for a reply from his friends or what, but he said, as God lives, who has taken away my right and the almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. So he's going here from defending himself to now entering into a vow or an oath in his closing argument. Far be it from me to say that you are right. And he's referring to his friends here. He's like, I am never going to agree with you guys. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. So he's like, I will not concede. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. 
And I love this statement by Job that he will maintain his integrity while holding fast to his righteousness in these trying times. And it's always in the heat of the moment where our integrity is tested. You know, we get impatient and flustered and we'll start spouting off things that we later wish we never said. And Job is even more insistent here as he feels that his friends are actually trying to attack his integrity and character. And the enemy will do this to us. He will take what people say and he's going to twist it in your mind so that you begin to doubt yourself. So heart check, are you able to maintain your integrity when your character is being questioned? But remember what I said before about not giving the enemy too much power because he is scheming for your relationships to be destroyed in the process. So don't give him that foothold. We have to ask ourselves before we start assuming that we're being attacked, where is this person coming from? Are they coming from a place of love and protection or are they coming from a place of jealousy and destruction? And that will help you to determine how you will react to what they are saying. But it should always be done in love, of course. Verse seven, let my enemy be as the wicked and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you concerning the hand of God, what is with the Almighty, I will not conceal. So he is feeling pretty frustrated here with their inability to understand and the misapplication of the things of God. Behold, all of you have seen it yourselves. Why then have you become altogether vain? Or in other words, why do you behave with such nonsense? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword and his descendants have not enough bread. Those who survive him, the pestilence buries and his widows do not weep. Though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it and the innocent will divide the silver, which this seems to be some sort of foreshadowing that is going to happen to Job himself, being that the wicked will be punished. And this is not an admission of guilt on his part. Verse 18, he builds his house like a moth, like a booth that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. He opens his eyes and his wealth is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night, a whirlwind carries him off. The east wind lifts him up and he is gone. It sweeps him out of its place. It hurls at him without pity and he flees from its power in headlong flight. It claps its hands at him and hisses at him from its place. So again, declaring that the wicked will see the end of their days. Chapter 28. Here we begin a section that kind of sounds like a wisdom hymn here. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth, which then tells us this is post-Iron Age, and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind, and they swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, meaning oats, barley, wheat, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. 
Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. So now he's referring to the underground. That path no bird or prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. So he's basically naming every kind of animal here and saying, animals don't have any knowledge of the discovery of earthly materials or gems. Like this is not even a thought to them. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious thing. So it's man who finds these things underground, right? He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle and the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. So while man is able to dig up all of these rare gems and these different types of precious metals, that's cake compared to this next section. But where shall the gems of wisdom be found? Well, we know it's only in God. And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living, so it is obviously very rare. The deep says, it is not in me, so hard to find. And the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire, so obviously invaluable. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. So you cannot put a price on true wisdom. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and He knows its place, and only He knows. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens, and only He knows until He grants it to others. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When He gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when He made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of thunder, then He saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out, and He said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So Job ends this section with a quote that we see in the book of Proverbs. And what he's saying is that while man may think that wisdom can be dug up or bought, Job knows and declares that it only comes by fearing the Lord and by turning away from evil. And I love how John Corson puts it. He says, if we don't fear the Lord, we will fear everything else. But if we fear Him, we will have nothing else to fear. And it is so true. I have found that when I leave God out of the equation of any part of my life, fear inevitably creeps in. So heart check. What area of your life do you need more godly wisdom and understanding? How are you implementing your reverence for God into it? And tomorrow we will hear the summary of Job's defense before we see another outside party come on the scene. But before that, let's go ahead and take a look at some of the deep dive questions. In what ways were you able to see God's heartbeat throughout this reading? And does it challenge or affirm your understanding of who God is? How are you able to maintain hope when justice isn't served? And when you recognize that we only get a glimpse into the power of God, how does that shape the way you view life on earth versus heaven? How can we maintain our integrity in times of testing? And how has being in the Word shaped your view of wisdom and understanding? 
So Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to see your glory today being revealed in your word. I thank you, Lord, that we have this knowledge of who you are and that we have direct access to you. They didn't have it back then. What a gift it is for us to never have to feel as though you are not there. We simply know that you are. So I pray that in times of injustice or unfairness that we will be able to continue to seek you. So give us knowledge, Lord, on how we can be more socially responsible and how we can contribute to a better society. We fully trust that you will bring justice one day, even if we are not physically here to see it. Your word says so, Lord, and therefore we agree. So thank you for helping us to find and see our worth in you so we are not dependent on what others think of us. And I pray that we will be able to hold fast to our integrity and our righteousness. But in the areas of our lives where we are not righteous, Lord, help us to make it right so that we do not have anything holding us captive. You desire us to live in freedom. And so I pray and declare that you will set the captive free. And I pray that we will continue to see your greatness and your majesty woven throughout the tapestry of creation and in the everyday, whether it's through a smile, through the innocence of a child's laughter, through the very air that we breathe. Help us never to take for granted what the world views as small, but what is so necessary for our very essence. May our hearts always be humble before you, Lord, in full submission, reverence, and fear, knowing that you are in control of all things and that you have our best interest at heart. Thank you so much for loving us and for caring for us. I pray that as we keep our hearts postured in this way, that you will pour your wisdom and understanding into our lives. We thank you for this time together. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us, and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer. And I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.